two objection to the rule your sunday afternoon news hour on radio free brooklyn we are recording this episode on friday july 22nd and it will begin airing on sunday july 24th 2022 my name is reese robinson and i'm on air today with my co-hosts emily scott and jasmine smith how's it going emily hey it's going good uh I mean, it's, I mean, not great. Like the whole world is on fire and all the pigs are back, but like, um, you know, I'm trying to focus on what I can control. And as far as that goes, things are going all right. <laughs> <Where are you? laughs> yeah, it gets, it gets tough, man. It gets tough from day mm-hmm. to day, literally. Being human is hard. You know, I thought it was just being an adult, but I think you're right. Being a human yeah. adult is difficult. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, I'm okay over here in L.A. Um, surprisingly enough, I, it, I, it never ceases to amaze me how cool California actually is. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I guess I had the whole wrong idea, like. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I think, I mean, I think it does get hot in parts. I think the coast, my understanding is the coast and, like, the northwest stays pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there's there are heat waves. There's a pretty bad heat wave, I think, in, like, portland seattle last year yeah i mean the more you go inland you know like palm springs is like up there yeah that's like yeah i mean death valley right that's california i think yeah yeah and i haven't been up there technically that's like the hottest place on earth yeah so yeah so it's it's you know it's cool over here (laughs) yeah but yeah uh prayers up for all those people going through the heat wave man that's really tough it's i mean it's literally global at this point so yeah Uh, everyone's hot yeah all right. Well, on the docket for today's episode, for local news, we'll be talking about uh, New York reporting its first U.S. polio case in nearly a decade. For our national news story, we will talk about the House passing protections for same-sex and interracial marriages with bipartisan support. Our world news story this week is about Argentina banding gender-neutral language And we may have a surprise of good news at the end of the episode. (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and take, um, hop into our first story. And Jasmine is up with the local news segment. So for today's local news story, um, it's a bit of unfortunate news. Uh, This was written in the Associated Press by Mike Staub and a contributor was Shelby Lum. Uh, An unvaccinated young adult from New York recently contracted polio, the first U.S. case in nearly a decade, health officials said Thursday. Officials said the patient, who lives in Rockland County, had developed paralysis. The person developed symptoms a month ago and did not recently travel outside the country, county health officials said. It appears the patient had a vaccine-derived strain of the virus perhaps from someone who got a live vaccine available in other countries, but not the U.S., and spread it, officials said. The person is no longer deemed contagious, but investigators are trying to figure out how the infection occurred and whether other people were exposed to the virus. Most Americans are vaccinated against polio, but this should serve as a wake-up call to the unvaccinated, said Jennifer Nuzzo, a Brown University pandemic researcher. This isn't normal. We don't want to see this, Nuzzo said. If you're vaccinated, it's not something you need to worry about. But if you haven't gotten your kids vaccinated, it's really important that you make sure they're up to date. 
Health officials scheduled vaccination clinics in New York for Friday and Monday and encouraged anyone who has not been vaccinated to get the shots. We want shots in the arms of those who need it, Rockland County Health Commissioner Dr. Patricia Schnabel Ruppert said at a Thursday news conference. Polio was once one of the nation's most feared diseases, with annual outbreaks causing thousands of cases of paralysis. The disease mostly affects children. Vaccines became available starting in 1955, and a national vaccination campaign cut the annual number of U.S. cases to less than 100 in the 60s and fewer than 10 in the 70s, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In 1979, polio was declared eliminated in the U.S., meaning there was no longer routine spread. Rarely, travelers have brought polio infections into the U.S. The last such case was in 2013, when a seven-month-old who had recently moved to the U.S. from India was diagnosed in San Antonio, Texas, according to federal health officials. That child also had the type of polio found in the live form of vaccine used in other countries. There are two types of polio vaccines. The U.S. and many other countries use shots made with an inactivated version of the virus, but some countries where polio has been more of a recent threat use a weakened live virus that is given to children as drops in the mouth. In rare instances, the weakened virus can mutate into a form capable of sparking new outbreaks. Uh, so this is an aside, this is not from the article. The vaccine that we get here in the United States is the SALK vaccine, S-A-L-K, and it confers um, antibody-mediated immunity in the bloodstream that prevents polio infection from progressing to viremia, meaning the vaccine we typically get in the U.S. stops the virus from entering the bloodstream and protects the motor neurons. Uh, your motor neurons are the nerve cells that are responsible for carrying signals away from the central nervous system towards muscles to cause movement. Okay, back to the article. U.S. children are routinely vaccinated against polio with the inactivated vaccine. Federal officials recommend four doses to be given at two months of age, four months, at six to 18 months, and at age four through six years. Some states require only three doses. According to the CDC's most recent childhood vaccination data, about 93% of two-year-olds had received at least three doses of polio vaccine. Polio spreads mostly from person to person or through contaminated water. It can infect a person's spinal cord, causing paralysis and possibly permanent disability and death. Rockland County in New York City's northern suburbs has been a center of vaccine resistance in recent years. A 2018 to 2019 measles outbreak there infected 312 people. Okay, so I, I just wanted to also share some other information uh, related to polio. Like I think for most of us, it's not something we think about often because in the U.S. it has pretty much been eradicated. Um, but this is from www.health.ny.gov. 
up to 95% of people infected with polio have no symptoms. However, infected persons without symptoms can still spread the virus and cause others to develop polio. About 4 to 5% of infected people have minor symptoms like fever, muscle weakness, headache, nausea, and vomiting. 1 to 2% of infected persons develop severe muscle pain and stiffness in the neck and back. Less than 1% of polio cases result in paralysis. And unfortunately, it seems that um, this young person in New York State was in that unlucky less than 1%. Uh, this is from Cedar sinai Symptoms of polio can range from a mild flu-like illness to serious muscle paralysis. Many people who survive polio are later at risk for PPS, so that's post-polio syndrome. PPS happens in some people who have recovered from polio. It starts an average of 35 years after the original polio and may eventually make it hard to breathe. PPS may cause the muscles to shrink. Symptoms include fatigue, slowly progressive muscle weakness, and deterioration. Uh, and if you know of the book 2001, A Space Odyssey, the author of that, Arthur C. Clarke, is a famous person who had post-polio syndrome. Uh, so if you are in Rockland County beginning Friday, Rockland County will host a polio vaccination clinic at Pomona Health Complex Building A at 50 Sanatorium Road in Pomona, New York from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. A second clinic will be held on Monday, July 25th from 1 to 4 p.m. If you are unvaccinated, including those who are pregnant, or, has not, or have not completed your polio vaccine series, or are concerned that you might have been exposed, please get vaccinated at these clinics. Individuals who are already vaccinated but are at risk of exposure should receive a booster, which will also be available at the clinics. You can pre-register for free online, um, and I'll share the link on our webpage. You can also call 845 238 one nine five six. Again, that's eight four five two three eight one nine five six to schedule an appointment. Walk-ins are also welcome. Um. So yeah, like I'm sad to see that this happened with this individual in Rockland County. I hope that it is a wake-up call for people who are hesitant or resistant about getting these vaccines. Like they are life-saving. They're extremely important. Um, and you just don't know, like, I think it's important for people to remember that in most people, in most cases, polio might seem like it's no big deal when you get it, but it does have the potential 10 and more years down the line to cause very serious complications. So just keep that in mind when it comes to any virus, like it is still worth it to do what you can to prevent getting infected and to prevent getting reinfected and just know what might not be a big deal to you can potentially lead to debilitating illness or death for some other person. So please, if you are not vaccinated, you're on the fence, please, please, please like think carefully about it and reconsider. All right. Thank you so much for bringing that story, Jasmine. Um, mm -hmm. Wow, man. I thought monkeypox was on the rise. I didn't know. 
<laughs> I think, I mean, it's all, it's all very scary. I, yeah, I was uh, talking with Jasmine earlier and it's just like my, you know, this welcome back to my house of horrors. Um, I mean, yeah, like the gang's all back together again. We're going old school with these diseases and I guess COVID's a new, a new kid on the block, but um, yeah, get at me vaccination. Honestly, it's, it's so important. And I think I, it's one of those things. It's really interesting. I think psychologically, like why people are more afraid, like the people who are choose to be unvaccinated. And I really do feel for, for children and young people who don't really have that choice. Cause it's up to their parents, yeah. you know, um, their parents are putting them at risk by not getting them vaccinated. But, um, it's, um, you know, that thing where like, you're more afraid of what feels like an unknown because you're like, well, I could have an adverse reaction and it's a choice I'm making, but it's like, we know that the diseases are very bad. And, um, we, you know, the vaccines are very safe in like the vast, vast, vast majority of cases. I think, I think any adverse reactions are very, very rare. Yeah. It's really scary. Absolutely. I feel like at this point, you know, like when I listened to her story this morning, I was like, oh my God, where are my vitamins? Like we have to try to just like be as healthy as possible because we literally don't know from day to day. And I think that one of the, you know, I'm not going to say it's a good thing that COVID did, but it, it was a wake up call to all of us about, you know, how the world is really not that big. And, you know, the reality is what affects one affects all. You know, mm-hmm. this the way that um, this disease affected life for children is just so horrific. Like we literally yeah. do not want this. This is not something you could just get, you know, have two weeks down and then like, you know, you literally lose. You can't walk. You lose power of your limbs. It's really, really sad what happens and mm-hmm. it affects young people so bad. So please consider this. Think about it. I know a lot of new parents are anti-vax just because of everything we all went through. But the reality is, you know, we wouldn't even have the elderly if it wasn't for vaccines that saved people's lives during these times. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you could be hypervigilant, but in the same context, like, be real, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also just on a scientific level, everything with polio, like I was, I, like, I think a lot of people, especially in the U.S., think polio was eradicated like smallpox was because, like, we don't really have to think about it in the U.S., but it's still endemic, I think, in parts of the world. I think Afghanistan is one of those countries where it's still endemic, and there there are efforts being made to eradicate it, or at least, like, as, you know, because I think I was reading, like, before, too, there's no more wild strains that anyone's found, mm-hmm. so it's still just, like, person-to-person strains. And then um, it was really interesting. I, I, I kept feeling like I was I was misreading it last night when I was panic reading over this a little bit that like the um, the that they it's a vaccine derived case of it. So I was like, how yeah. do you get the disease from the vaccine? I was like, I don't understand. And it was really interesting to read that it's just like a like. And I I did read also that I think a lot of, like in 2016 that like the the effort to eradicate polio around the world like they they that move made to stop using that worldwide in 2016 so like that version of polio should die out Mm -hmm. but um yeah just really interesting and and strange you know 
Yeah, absolutely. This definitely something to look out for. So everybody just be careful. But, you know, really consider this because we do not need this to affect our children and our society. No. um, In a large amount. So. All right, we're going to go ahead and hop into our first music break of the sound of the day. <laughs> this is a new track. It's called Persuasive, and it's by Dochi featuring SZA. We'll be right back. She's so persuasive. Mm. She's so persuasive, that marijuana. She's so flirtatious. How does it feel to be you? So persuasive, that marijuana, she's so flirtatious. How does it feel to be you? Feel like the feeling of a suppress. Feel like I feel like I got no press. Feel like I feel like I need it. Rest. Season, I should let go, and that's the reason I'm about my Well, it's the season I should fly. So low, I'm so sedated, and she's so persuasive. This isolation, so sweet you could taste it. Eight in the morning, moonlight up beyond, and it's three in the morning, and I'm still performing. She's so persuasive, that marijuana, she's so flirtatious. can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our national news story, uh, this story comes from an article in the Washington Post. The title of the article is House Passes Protections for Same-Sex and Interracial Marriages with Bipartisan Support. The author of the article is Mariana Sotomayor, Leanne Caldwell, and Paul Kane. A bill that would Federally protect same-sex marriages sailed through the House on Tuesday with bipartisan support, a historic moment that marks a capstone to the nation's quarter-century evolution on LGBTQ rights and a response to fears that an, an old that an emboldened Supreme Court was poised to take away hard-won civil rights. 
47 Republicans joined all Democrats in support of the Respect for Marriage Act that also would protect interracial marriage and repeal the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act, which defines marriage as between a man and a woman. House Republican Conference Chairwoman Elise Stefanik of New York and National Republican Congressional Committee Chair Tom Emmer of Minnesota were among those who voted in support, a signal that at least a portion of the party believes marriage equality is settled law. Tuesday's bipartisan vote proves a striking evolution on the issue of same-sex marriage for members of both parties. Just a decade ago, Democratic Vice President Joe Biden got castigated for announcing his support for gay marriage before the sitting President Barack Obama had announced his own views on the issue. More than a decade before that, Biden helped pass the Defense of Marriage Act in the Senate, while House Majority Leader Steny H. Homer and Majority Whip Jim Clyburn joined the 116 Democrats supporting it in the House. Now on the cusp of seizing the majority of the House, Republicans split into competing camps over a one-time hot-button issue as Democrats were completely unified in protecting the right that the Supreme Court had issued seven years ago. Some of Trump's fiercest allies voted with Democrats, particularly Stifanik. Yet, just more than 20% of Republican conference voted in support of the legislation, a sign that even marriage equality has become more broadly accepted in this country. Republicans don't have a unified view on what some consider progressive social issues. It's unclear if the legislation has enough support in the Senate for passage. The Democratic leaders didn't commit to bringing it up for a vote, stating the legislative schedule ahead of the midterms may not allow for intermediate consideration. House Democrats scheduled the vote Tuesday in response to an opinion written by Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas last month, in which he openly questioned whether the court should reconsider rulings that guaranteed access to birth control and same-sex couples' rights to marriage, two issues many Americans have viewed as settled law. Thomas's opinion, filed as a concurrence to the Supreme Court ruling that overtoned federal abortion protections in Roe v. Wade, opened the door for congressional Democrats to attempt to draw a sharp contrast between themselves and Republicans ahead of the fall midterm elections. This week's vote comes on the heels of the House vote last week codifying the reproductive rights protections derived from the now overtime Roe v. Wade ruling and granting protections to people who travel out the state to obtain an abortion. The latter gained support of just three Republicans, two of whom were not seeking re-election. Senator Catherine Cortez Maceo Masto, who is at risk of losing her re-election in the state where abortion is legal, attempted to force a vote by unanimous consent, a dramatic tactic to send the message on legislation that doesn't have the votes on the freedom of the travel bill last week. It was blocked by Republicans. Democrats hope to use Tuesday's vote, as well as another unexpected later this week, to access to contraception to paint Republicans as extremists who do not support social freedoms ahead of the midterms. Republican leaders were split on the issue, with Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Minority Whip Stephen Scalise voting against it, giving Democrats the green light to paint the party in a broad stroke as extreme. Um, I think that's enough, pretty much, of the article to read. There's a little bit more just about the back and forth. Um, there's one other part that I think is important. 
Um, while still expressing their disappointment at the Supreme Court ruling, Democrats have predicted that overturning abortion access could give them a lift with voters. Uh, a New York Times Siena College poll of registered voters this month saw majority support for abortion access increase since September 2020 from 60% to 65%. But the same poll also showed that the argument may not break through as much as a Democratic hope. Um, uh, among registered voters, abortions rank fifth behind crime, gun policies, and the economy as the issues guiding their vote in November. Inflation and the cost of living was the top issue of concern. So you can go on and continue to read this article, just kind of hear a little bit about the back and forth. Um, I, I can't even believe in our lifetime we are reiterating these issues that have been around so long. And the idea, you know, um, I know same-sex marriage is a, in, in the scheme of politics, right, some new progressive thing that happened, you know, less than 10 years ago. But the reality is these civil rights protections, including interracial marriage, have spanned the majority of most of our lifetimes. And it's unsettling that we are now in a space where literally we are talking about things that have no place in America or anywhere else in the world, I think. Yeah, what an emotionally like uh, up and down story, Reese, that was because I really it is really kind of incredible that right? so many Republicans were in support. Like a, a, also a bipartisan bill, period, is just like almost unfathomable <laughs> these days. It's like something that <laughs> both sides support even to like a certain percentage. Um, yeah. More than like at two Republicans, you know, Um it's pretty incredible. And, and it, I remember like very clearly when I remember when SNL made fun of it, when Biden came out and like, um, in support of gay marriage as if that's like, and now it's like, could you even imagine a Democrat not being in support of gay marriage? And a lot changes in 10 years. It's really true. But at the same time, everything, you know, like the Roe v. Wade getting overturned. It's a really, really stark reminder that like, you know, these things are, do not last forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the thought like, you know, of interracial marriage being a questionable item. I know. Like, I can't, I, I know. can't, like, I can't even, it's so hard for me to even put that into context. You know, know, like being an American is being a mixed race, like period, period. Yeah. That's just what it is, no matter what. And the thought that our families could what I, I, I can't even put it to to yeah. words because it's so bizarre you know same yeah. thing with same sex like seriously I, I have family members that was married back in the 80s you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. like under under wraps um mm -hmm. because it wasn't safe for them and the thought mm -hmm. that anybody can take these civil rights from people now is absurd I'm sorry mm -hmm. yeah I mean once you open the door to forcing a person to to carry a, a a fetus for nine months and to have that fetus like it opens the door to all sorts of like personal liberty removal right like if you you know what I mean yeah like absolutely but at the same time it's like it's still it's still just crazy to me like you know but like wearing a mask is like a personal liberty violation right like but you're gonna make people carry a child to term um or an inf or a fetus I should say and yeah no it's it's pretty crazy that people yeah. can like tie such knots in their, you know, out of logic to kind of just get what they want. Um, yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's it's good to see that at least the house is trying to do something. Um, it's just a little bit hard to be super excited knowing that once it goes to the Senate, it's like, well, are there going to be enough votes or whatever to actually make it a thing? But yeah, I would be curious to know, or I'm sure someone has probably broken down like why it is that um, an issue like this, like with gay marriage, is something that more people who seem to be extremely anti-abortion or pro-force birth seem to be willing to um, support this issue over um, full reproductive freedom. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's like like Emily was saying, a lot of the problems that we're seeing now with these rights being taken away and, you know, these basically, you know, Christian fascists trying to impose their very specific worldview on the rest of us, it all comes from basically not respecting people's right to privacy, um, thinking that the state or the government has the right to come in and tell you um, based on a very narrow set of beliefs, like what you are and aren't allowed to do in your own sex life, essentially, which is, it's wild to me. And I, I really, I don't know if there are people who go along with some of these like anti queer beliefs or anti-choice beliefs, like anti-abortion beliefs. I wonder sometimes if they ever think about like where that logic ends up, because there's so many other things that technically within that same Christian worldview are also immoral or wrong or whatever. You know, it's like people cheat on their spouses every day with the same people that are against um, having full reproductive freedom or the same people who are against same-sex marriage, like, would they be supportive of laws being on the books that you can be thrown into jail because you slept with somebody who was married or you were entertaining someone who was married? Like, why not? Like, that's also wrong according to somebody's religious belief, you know? So if you think that you can sort of interfere with or that it's okay for the government to interfere in the sex lives and personal lives of other people. I don't know. It's like that can very easily turn around onto you and stuff that maybe you've been doing um, that also falls outside of like their idea of right or wrong. And like, if you wouldn't support that, like then what makes it okay for you to do that with other people, you know? It really makes you think also, you know, this is horrible that we even live in a world where representation is supposed to represent some sort of fucking civil right when it really doesn't. Mm -hmm. Right. But the reality mm -hmm. is like, you know, as long as this court is in the composition that it is, it's all, everything is going to go backwards at this point. Like I'm, I'm just mm -hmm. like, it's, it's almost like mind boggling to think of the freedoms and civil rights that you have that somebody could object, you mm -hmm. know? Like when you really think about it, what what even does that mean? Because at this point, mm -hmm. like everything is an issue, right? Of course, inflation, cost of living, homelessness, fucking everything. Every literally every right that you have in life is an issue at this point. But the thought of somebody retracting um, our realities from us and us having to adjust backwards, mm -hmm. yeah, that's not gonna go down. I don't know yeah. what's gonna happen, but 
Yeah. No, that wasn't, yeah, that was an interesting point you made too, actually. And it is interesting because, you know, people's main concerns are inflation and, and housing and things. And it does make sense if you think of like that, you know, that pyramid of needs yeah. thing where like Most you can't, well, yeah. you right, you can't deal with your emotional needs and well-being if you don't know, if you don't have a safe place to live and enough food. So that makes a lot of sense, right? Like if people are struggling yeah. and, and it's, it's hard, like people can't afford things. Wages aren't matching up to cost of things, um, especially in New York. Um, and I, so I do understand that. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to be human. Again, right? <laughs> Again, all the time. Yeah. We arrive right back to that point. Um, yeah. Definitely. And it also to me brings up like the importance of you know, families having their own dialogue and discussion about these issues with their mm-hmm. children, you know, because mm-hmm. if you leave it up to the status quo, if you don't make it a priority to kind of have these, this dialogue in your household amongst people that you care about, especially the youth, what exactly are, what are the messages that they're receiving, right? Like, mm. because the if, if we allow um, status quo to be how our society and common knowledge is driven, I, I don't even understand what it's like to be a kid at this time. Like probably mm-hmm. what it was like for our fucking parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a yeah. completely different experience than what we had. Yeah. I mean, I really do feel for kids. I like active shooter drills. I like, you know what I mean? Like that, like, I remember I would, I mean, I remember Columbine when I was a kid, I was, I was pretty young. Right. So like that, that was like the beginning of I think what's current, what's, what the world has become for like young students in the United States. Right. And I think, yeah, I don't, I didn't, we didn't have, I think once or twice I we'd had one, but it wasn't like a regular thing, like fire drills or anything, right. Like fire drills were mm-hmm. like, you know, once a semester or whatever, but um, yeah, it's just, it's, I really feel for kids, you know, and like yeah. the, yeah. Climate, like having to deal with the like existential threat of climate change. Like I didn't, we, I remember in middle school, all we talked about was like acid rain was like the biggest worry, you know? Um, yeah, no. Yeah, man. I really it's, feel it's... for the youth. Exactly, man. And and all of the the older people who fought for us to have these rights as well, you know? It's just, it's, it's mind boggling how we can go yeah. back in time in the present for no mm-hmm. fucking reason mm-hmm. except for people trying to control everybody else's life. It's just mm-hmm. really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. All but right. hey, the Republicans are into gay marriage now, so I mean, who knows, that who knows what's possible? Right? That is progression, but you know, you just gotta follow the dollars. That's what. That's yeah, about. yep, yeah, I do, <laughs> I do, I do. I mean, I guess people can change, but really, oh no, can they? Yeah. Right, we gonna go ahead and take a break, y'all, because this, yeah, it's it's just wild. The next track is called Reflections, and it's by an artist named Catalyst, featuring Adrian Young and Ali. Shahid Mohammed. We'll be right back.
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we'll have Emily with our world news segment. All righty. This story comes from a July 20th New York Times article by Anna Lankis titled, In Argentina, One of the World's First Bans on Gender-Neutral Language. The city of Buenos Aires uh, blocked the use of gender-inclusive language in schools, reigniting a debate that is reverberating across the world. The article explains, quote, Instead of amigos, the Spanish word for friends, some Spanish speakers use amigues. In place of todos or all, some write to, to I don't know how to pronounce it, it's todos, todos with an X. And some signs would say bienvenidos or welcome, now say bienvenidos with an at symbol instead of an o. The changes, which had been informally adopted by teachers in schools across Buenos Aires, were a deliberate effort to include people who don't identify as male or female in a language where many words are categorized as either masculine or feminine. Similar gender-neutral language is being increasingly introduced across Latin America, as well as in other languages, including English and French, by supporters who say it helps create a more inclusive society. But to some Spanish speakers, including many academics and politicians, the changes degrade a language spoken by a half billion people around the world. In Argentina, the tension has shifted from a war of, specific, of public opinion to a battle over policy. The city government in Buenos Aires, the nation's capital, last month banned teachers from using any gender-neutral words during class and in communications with parents. The city's education minister said such language violated the rules of Spanish and stymied students' reading comprehension. The policy, among the first anywhere to specifically forbid the use of gender-neutral language, provoked a swift backlash. Argentina's top education official criticized the rule and at least five organizations, a mix of gay rights and civil rights groups, have filed lawsuits seeking to overturn it. Jamie per, Persick, Persick uh, Argentina's education minister, compared the measure to prohibitions against left-handed writing under the fascist dictatorship of Francisco Franco in Spain. They thought they were correcting something, but it goes much deeper, he said, explaining that students use gender-neutral language as a tool to fight sexist attitudes prevalent in Argentine culture. In Romance languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and Portuguese, the, the debate over gender-neutral terminology can be, can be particularly fierce because all grammar is gendered. Gender-neutral language has scandalized linguistic purists. The Royal Academy in Spain, considered by many as the gatekeeper of the Spanish language, described the use of E, at, and X, which are used in place of the O and A that often signify a word's gender, as alien to the morphology of Spanish in a 2020 report. Quote, the debate also became, became, uh, has also become part of an emerging culture war in Latin America. In December, Uruguay's public education agency issued a memo limiting the use of inclusive language to be in accordance with the rules of the Spanish language. Proposals to ban gender-neutral language in schools or government documents have been pushed in Peru, 
some states in Mexico, and in at least 34 municipalities and states in Brazil. Quote, the debate is also playing out in the United States, where the gender-neutral term Latinx was added to a widely used dictionary in 2018. But even among Hispanic people, many have not heard of the term, and few, mainly young college-educated women, use it, according to a survey in 2019 by the Pew Research Center. The push for changes to Romance languages originated among feminists in at least the 1970s, who challenged the use of the generic masculine, a grammatical rule in which the masculine form takes precedence when referring to a group of people if the group includes even one man. In Spanish, five girls are las niñas, but once a boy joins, they become los niños. In France, instead of using cher étudiante, uh, the masculine form of dear students, feminists promoted the use of double forms that included a feminine spelling, such as cher uh, étudiant et chères étudiantes. Where's the sidebar? Uh, <laughs> where's Jasmine when you need her? I think she speaks French very fluently. Um, <laughs> anyway, the, <laughs> the pronunciations take me back to high school. Uh, anyway, back to the quoted parts of the article. Um, the person who said that was Heather Burnett, a linguist at France's National Research Agency. Uh, quote, today, a new wave of activists is going further. Many transgender people want to erase grammatical gender terms altogether. Instead of using queridos alumnos y queridas alumnas, dear students in male and female form, they prefer, for example, to use queridas alumnas. Uh, the movement around language, some experts say, is part of a broader challenge to the way society perceives gender. With non-binary people, uh, with non-binary people, language is just the tip of the iceberg, said Rodrigo Borba, a professor of applied linguistics at the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. What they are questioning on a deeper ideological level is that gender is not connected to your genitalia and that it does not only come in pairs. Argentina is a surprising place for such a heated debate on gender neutral language because the country has largely embraced transgender rights. In 2012, it became one of the first countries in the world to pass a law allowing people to change their gender on official documents without requiring the intervention of a doctor or a mental health therapist. Last year, the federal government adopted a measure requiring that 1% of all public sector jobs be set aside for transgender people. Those who identify as non-binary are allowed to mark an X on official documents rather than check off male or female. One of the president's children is a non-binary drag queen. Uh, quote, in Buenos Aires, the city's education minister, Soledad Acuña, said the new rule on inclusive language is not intended to be a ban. Language itself is neither more or nor less inclusive, she said in an interview. It all depends on how people use it. On the same day the rule was introduced, Ms. Acuña said the ministry published several guides on how to be inclusive with traditional Spanish grammar. They suggest, for example, writing los slash las estudiantes or using neutral words like personas or people. But the guides have done little to mollify activists and some students who said the new language decree has and some and some students who said the new language decree left them feeling ostracized. It just makes you feel really bad, said Agostina Fernandez Tira, 17, who identifies as non-binary and attends a public school in Buenos Aires. They put us all in the same box. You are either female or male. Those of us in the middle who are neither male nor female, it's like they don't even consider you. Some parents and teachers have cheered the rule. Gender neutral language is not even that inclusive, said Vanina uh, Maria Casali, the principal of a primary school in Palermo, an upscale Buenos Aires neighborhood. 
In our school, there are kids with learning difficulties, and such language makes it even harder for them to learn. Uh, what influence, if any, gender-neutral language has on reading comprehension is unclear, said Florencia Salvareza, a neuroscientist in Argentina who works on cognition, because little, if any, research has been done on the subject. Quote, still advocates and others involved in Buenos Aires' schools believe that despite the rule, the use of gender-neutral language will continue to expand. You can't prohibit something that's already so in use, said Alexandra Rodriguez, an after-school volunteer at a community center. Language is something that's always being modified. It's alive because we are alive, and it will keep on changing. And that is the story. Um, I thought, I mean, I think it's a it's an interesting matchup with Reese, your national story this week, yeah. uh, for sure. And how views on these things change and become politicized. Mm -hmm. um, what are you thinking? Well, definitely language is important. Um, you know, it is how we identify ourselves, whether we agree or not. And having those, I remember learning um, French growing up and, you know, understanding the, the masculine and feminine and never really questioning why the masculine took preference. But in retrospect, um, the idea that, you know, wor words are conjugated based on sex is a very interesting concept to think about in dialect like right mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like a formality in order to maintain um mm -hmm. status quo which I, I probably never thought about in my life so <laughs> the fact that you know things are shifting and other words are being useful I think that's a good thing um definitely because it is more inclusive and you know while um those of us who are you know, hetero in whatever way, or, you know, we identify with the status quo, I do think that there is space for even within that spectrum, right, to be more inclusive, because, you know, there are words that talk about you far as your age, far as your race, far as your economical source status, and those times can trigger people as well. So language to me is, is probably one of the most important things about civil rights, because, the dichotomy of what you believe and how people present you or, or respect you is all wrapped up in semantics. Unfortunately, it's not about who you are as a person. It's about what they call you, you know, and how you how you receive that. So it's a complicated issue um, for a lot of people. And it's always has been uh, not just in gender, but also in race, ethnicity. So definitely an important uh, dialogue to keep on the forefront, especially now that we're all being challenged with our civil rights, the language is what like shakes or unshakes the situation. You know, being respected for who you are is a human right for anybody. And you should be able to define that. You shouldn't have to live, that's my opinion, you shouldn't have to live within the realms that anybody put on you except for yourself. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you put it really well. Um, the language we use matters and um, how we choose to refer to groups of people and things, places like reflects our value system. Yeah. And yeah, um, like, for example, I think we've talked about this on the show before, you know, like calling a person illegal as a noun. Um it reflects a mindset, right? Like a person yeah. cannot be illegal. They can do something that is illegal, but like, you know right. what I mean? And, and it, it, it dehuman, dehumanizes people um, and for sure. And their experience as well. And their yeah. experience, which is, yeah. is their whole existence, you know? Yeah. 
And I think, I think, um, and I think language should change over time and reflect, it does change over time, right? Like you read books mm-hmm. from the middle ages and they're like, we, I don't know what this says because language adapts and changes over time yeah. um, to reflect things, um, to reflect changes in society. And I think that's more than okay. Um, I think, I think that the, the idea of like, it's not just people that are gendered in romance languages, like things are gendered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think very interesting and made up about that, you know? And it's like, like, like why does water have a gender? Right. Like <laughs> exactly. and again, that, that's a whole complicated one. That's a bad example because it changes whether it's like, I don't know. It like, that's a, like, if you want to look that up, there's like all these different rules about how you refer to water or like why like a pencil has like a gender, Maybe yeah. also a bad example because it's pretty phallic, but um, but actually, is it? Well, yeah, Albertigrafo. But anyway, so um, yeah, no, it's just that's made up. So like, what does it matter what we exactly. do, you know? Anyway, like refer to people how they want to be referred to, and stop putting gender yeah. on fucking like things that we need yeah. to survive. And it is. It's also interesting. Like certainly, I know French. I know the French are very serious about like codifying their language and making sure everyone is speaking the same version of French. And I, I, I didn't think, I didn't know Spanish had the Royal Academy, but I, it makes sense that they do. It's just like, yeah. it's, it is interesting. And like, I understand, but I don't know if there's a, is there an English version of that? Um, I don't know. That I guess that's, that's a topic for another episode. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. And it's just like, I understand. I mean, like, I understand the idea of wanting to preserve a language from like an artistic point of view but it's also mm-hmm. like just let people say like but people are going to use that and adapt that as they need to because we it has to reflect your life and your, exactly. you know the people in your life yeah yep people's lived experiences should be honored period yeah 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 that's absolutely true that language languages are living like when languages stop changing they start to die out you know like latin was a language that um you know, was very much institutionalized and people were very strict about the rules and all of this and what you could and could not say. And it's no longer a living language. And, you know, there's also many other languages that have vast, you know, numbers of different genders in the way that they speak, you know, so it's not self-evident that it's like a black and white thing. And Spanish itself, like it went through major changes with spelling and everything. And like Emily was saying, you know, whether it's English, French, Spanish, German, whatever, you know, the way the texts were written like hundreds of years ago, or sometimes even like a matter of like decades, sometimes like you can see and hear the difference in the way that the language sounds, you know, and I think, um, similarly to what we were talking about with um, like gay marriage or these rules that are meant to limit um, access to abortion and things of that nature. Like often the arguments that people will use for creating like these really repressive, strict rules is they'll try to argue that it's a matter of like the natural or right way that things are when in reality, the fact that you have to put in so much effort and work and use threats of like force to punish people for not adhering to it is more so like evidence that what it is you're pushing for is not in fact the natural order of things. 
like the only reason you would need to have all these different rules about, you know, what clothes you're allowed to wear, depending on the genitals you were born in, were born with. The only reason you would have to enforce something like that is if it's not completely self-evident, like that's something that people are bullied for not adhering to, like it's being pushed on them. And it's the same thing with language, you know, languages change, like as we change, as we learn more, um, people use words that match their reality and to express themselves. So when you have someone coming along trying to police that, you know, it really, it proves the original point that like what you're trying to force onto people is not self-evident or natural. Like it's, it's an order that you are trying to impose on other people and ultimately like it always ends up being it's just completely irrational all right so i got a quick good news story before we get out of here today this article comes from the good news network this is an article that is from uh, july 21st the title of the article is Botswana cuts hiv transmission rates to children from 40 percent to one percent in the groundbreaking achievement the author of the article is andy corbley The WHO recently celebrated Botswana for their groundbreaking achievement of stopping the transmission of HIV between moms and their newborns. The national program has reduced such occurrences from 40% to below 1% since it was launched 23 years ago. Botswana still struggles with high HIV infection rates, but in the country's central health district, just four babies have been born with HIV all year. And in seven other health districts, there's been no such transmissions. This is a huge accomplishment for the country that has one of the most severe HIV epidemics in the world. Botswana demonstrates that an AIDS-free generation is possible, said Dr. Matashibo Moeti, WHO Regional Director of Africa. This groundbreaking milestone is a big step forward in ending AIDS on the continent. Globally, 15 countries have been certified for eliminating mother-to-child HIV transmission. None of them had an epidemic as large as Botswana. In 1999, the HIV prevalence rate was as high as 30%. The progress on prevention of mother-to-child transmission of HIV in this region is truly a public health success, with more than 1.7 million new infections in children averted since 2010 said Mohamed Fall, UNICEF Regional Director for Eastern and Southern Africa. We applaud Botswana for this remarkable achievement. So yeah, man, that's really good news. Uh, wow. Wow, wow, shout wow. Shout out to the doctors, the scientists, the researchers, yep. you know, who have dedicated, you yep. know, the last 23 years to this research and this, this um, work. You know, we don't hear about this stories like this in America, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Uh, think about the resources that it took to get to this point. But from mm-hmm. 40% to below 1%. Wow. That's outstanding. Wow. It's incredible. That's amazing. That is great news. Right? Awesome. Right? You love That's to hear it. To it news, feels so rare. Oh, especially about diseases. And babies, what a great, man. What a babies. great, great episode. Ep- button for this episode awesome i know right we needed it we needed it yeah all right y'all so we have made it to another end of the episode of objection to the rule on radio free brooklyn thank you so much for listening you can catch all of our older episodes on radiofreebrooklyn.org or on the radio free brooklyn app or on spotify 
Uh, keep listening for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track of this episode is called Chant and is by Macklemore featuring Tones and I. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. They told me that I vanished. They told me that I had it. They told me that I'm gone. I told them don't panic. When you've done it this long and you've seen magic and you know it won't kill you even when the whole world doubts it. This is my moment. They can't take my talent. They can't take my stripes. They can't erase my hours. I'm from the underground. Anything above ground is a mountain. I'm done trying to impress anybody, but the heavens where I'm headed, you don't get to hold on to your flowers. I am in my zone, eyes on the throne. 20K deep, better pull out your phones. Turning the arena to believers every time I hit the ceiling. Ain't nobody ever touching my show. Look at what we started, look at where we got to. Almost OD that night in the hospital. Wasn't gonna die more life in the arsenal. Got another shot to pull off the impossible. Take my voice from me, I will rise up. Rise up. If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter.